Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Reverend Dale Cohen. I want to welcome you to the First Words podcast of First United Methodist Church in Florence, Alabama. I'm Dale Cohen, Senior Pastor. We're going to have the final sermon in our series on following Jesus on the topic of a new standard for loving. Our scripture comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. I'm going to read that for you now. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A truck driver stopped at a roadside cafe for a meal. Three tough-looking, leather-jacketed motorcyclists came in shortly after the waitress brought his food to the table. They immediately started flirting with the waitress, saying some inappropriate things. Hearing enough of their smut, the truck driver suggested the bikers treat the waitress with more respect. So, the men started harassing him. He tried to ignore them, patiently eating his meal, but they stood around him, stealing French fries. One even picked up his coffee cup and drank out of it. When he finished eating, he got up, paid his bill, and left. The bikers were laughing, and one said, That guy isn't much of a man. The waitress replied, Well, I don't know about that, but he's sure not much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out of the parking lot. Why are we drawn to revenge stories? Psychologists tell us that humans have an innate attraction toward revenge. We all experience angry emotions when we're ridiculed, cheated, or betrayed. However, we usually talk ourselves down from the reactivity and rage, choosing not to act in self-defeating ways. The truck driver was no match for three bikers in a brawl, so he was wise to keep his cool. However, his 18-wheeler against three unattended motorcycles had much better odds. Although we've heard revenge is sweet, I think it's fair to say revenge is bittersweet. 
Because although it feels good at that moment, it takes something from us that leaves us diminished and less than we were before we were retaliated. We become more like the person who hurt us. Rob Bell wrote, When someone wrongs us, we rarely, if ever, want to do the same thing back. Why? We want to do something more harmful. When someone insults us, our instinct is to search for words that will be more insulting. Revenge always escalates. When we seek revenge, we give someone else control of our lives, allowing them to determine our behavior. This truth is why God says in Deuteronomy, It's mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, our enemy's foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. It's not our responsibility to make people pay for the hurt they bring to our lives. So we must trust God to set things right in the long run. Jesus calls us to a demanding and radical standard for responding to our enemies. And that's what I want to talk about next. Sometimes following Jesus is challenging because he calls us to act in ways we don't want. The gospel reading for today is an example of this high standard that Jesus has for us, but it's one that leads to the best life possible. First, Jesus says that we must love our enemies. Jesus invites us to resist our natural inclinations for revenge and instead act in loving ways toward everyone, even those we see as enemies. He put it bluntly when he said, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Jesus calls us to love our enemies with a gracious love that takes an active interest in the well-being of the very persons who are out to get us. It's more than the love described in Greek as the philia kind of love, the love we have for our friends. He's calling us to agape love, God's kind of love that cares deeply about all people who he's created in his image. If we love our enemies with God's agape love, we want what's best for them because that's the way God loves them. When we read these words about loving our enemies, we probably imagine some generalized idea of an enemy who lives in a foreign country where they hate all Americans. Well, yes, those people may be our enemies, but Jesus won't let us off the hook that easily. He's talking about those difficult people we interact with regularly and who don't like us, even though we may not have a clue as to what we've done to offend them. He's talking about people who say insulting and demeaning things about us, sometimes even to our faces. He's talking about people who spread nasty gossip or betray our confidence or who take advantage of us. These are the people he calls us to love. There's nothing easy about this kind of love. And honestly, most of us regard it as absurd and unthinkable. But that's what Jesus commands us to do. And so not only must we love our enemies, but we must also demonstrate for them a better way of living. 
Again, in our reading, Jesus says, If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. On the surface, it may sound like Jesus instructs us to be suckers who get taken for everything we've got. But if we dig deeper, we see that he's challenging us to take control of the way we respond. Even those who intend to do harm to us, we must demonstrate to them and model a more loving way. And here's some possible ways for us to respond. Instead of resisting the aggression of our enemies, we can submit to their antagonism, trusting that God sees what's going on and giving him room to sort it out based on what he knows and what we may not see. But we can also develop the discipline to fully forgive others and let go of any grudges so that we're free from reacting and living under the control of the behavior of others. And also, we can exercise patience with the shortcomings of others while recognizing that we also have limitations so that we can model love and grace, leaving the door open for our enemies to become our friends. Suppose I want to become a more loving and merciful person like Jesus. In that case, I must persistently practice graciousness, regardless of whether other people make it easy for me by always being loving and kind. I must exhibit the strength and resolve to push forward, following in the footsteps of Jesus, by offering unconditional love and extravagant mercy, even if I'm betrayed, humiliated, falsely accused, rejected, or taken advantage of. I must break free from the tit-for-tat retribution game and take my cues from Jesus, regardless of what others may do to me. For just as the golden rule says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I understand to live by this standard alters the tilt of the universe in miraculous ways. I don't want to live in a world that is just an echo chamber of mutual hatred or operate in a world shaped by internet trolls and influenced by haters. I long to live in a world full of love and mercy that can't be defeated, shouted down, or poisoned by bitterness. There is a world that exists that is known as the kingdom of God, and we pray for it every time we pray the Lord's Prayer saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But for God's kingdom to come to earth, we must love each other, including our enemies, with the same love God has for us. So then we must let our love be unconditional too. Conditional love and qualified acceptance are the key characteristics of a consumerist society. Conditional love doesn't feel good, nor does it satisfy our need to be loved. When someone loves us conditionally, they put limits, restrictions, or rules on the love they give us. While they may have genuine affection for us, we feel as if we must earn their love to keep it. And there's nothing special about that kind of love. It's everywhere. 
Jesus described its prevalence when he said this, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Jesus says that if our love is merely a resource we use as currency in a transaction, it's not love at all. And so he puts it in terms of lending money. He says, if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. Jesus wants the love we share to demonstrate the same no-strings-attached and unconditional love that God has for us. He said, But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High God, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked." We get to choose whether we love others with conditional or unconditional love. All of us have been lied to, abused, dismissed, and ripped off. We are perfectly justified in becoming the mirror image of those who have hurt us, if we so choose. But we've also been relentlessly and extravagantly loved through God's gracious acceptance of us. The pathway to freedom and to the abundant life Jesus came to give us is to resist the desire to hate others as they have hated us and choose instead to follow the call to love our enemies as God has loved us. We must also let go of judging those who have harmed us. But you say, Dale, you don't know my enemies and you don't know how badly they've hurt me. To that, I ask you, do you really know the hearts of your enemies? Do you know their entire stories? Do you know every hurt and slight or abuse they've experienced? Do you know why they hurt you as they did? We probably don't, and that's why Jesus went on to say, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. There's no excuse for bad behavior, but sometimes there's an explanation. When we know why people act the way they do, we're better able to move toward loving those who've hurt us. If someone hurts me, I'll try to understand what's going on with them. However, if they continue to hurt me, I'll forgive them, but I'll move on. Jesus doesn't expect us to stay in dangerous or abusive situations. But even in leaving, we must extend unconditional forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Our lack of forgiveness keeps us bound to them in ways that eventually destroy us. So if we want to be free, we must choose to forgive in love. So, so where does all this lead us? 
Jesus says if we reduce our lives to simply loving our friends and hating our enemies, we're no different than anybody else. Any thief, sinner, atheist, or con artist who can keep score can do that. But Jesus says we're not part of that pitiful bunch of short-sighted people. We know better because we understand God's larger plan of transforming the world through love. And so we're called to embody his love consistently, even with our enemies, expecting nothing in return. Loving for the sake of love is the more excellent way that Paul described in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, And I will show you a still more excellent way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's not easy to love our enemies. However, whenever Jesus' words challenge us, we should always keep two other scriptures in mind. The first is from John, where Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. No situation will ever arise in our lives when Jesus isn't willing to come alongside us to help us do the right thing. But then the second passage that we need to keep in mind comes from Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus doesn't call us to love our enemies through our ability. It's only possible through his strength. So let's carry on confidently, courageously, and hopefully as we show the world God's agape love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the First Words Podcast. Please reach out to us if there's anything that we can do for you. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc.